Welcome to an episode of Explain Blockchain. This podcast is about blockchain technologies and its latest developments. My name is Peter and let's roll the intro. Right, and welcome to the second episode of Explain Blockchain. Today we will talk about consensus protocols. So last time in the last episode, we talked about transactions and blocks and how they are created. And then we stopped at the point where I want to explain how blocks are added to the actual blockchain. So now we will talk about consensus protocols. And these protocols ensure that the blocks are added to the blockchain in a legitimate way. My definition of consensus protocols is a consensus protocol is an algorithm that elects a network participant to add the next block to the blockchain. So first of all, an algorithm is a simple function or a protocol, a procedure that can just be run and that also can be run by everybody else in the network. When this algorithm is executed, it elects a single network participant from the network that is then allowed to add one block to the blockchain. A consensus protocol typically has three requirements that it needs to fulfill or balance out. The first one is the fairness. That means that every participating node has the same chance to be elected as a leader. There's no single entity that is elected more often than others. Every node is equal and has the equal chance. And the second requirement of a consensus protocol is investment. And that means if a node or the owner of a node invests more in the consensus protocol. So for Bitcoin, for example, if somebody buys more uh, mining hardware, then also the chance of being elected uh, the leader that is allowed to add the next block has to be proportionally higher. And the thought behind this is that it creates, so to say, crypto economical forces. And these forces are quite alike to normal market forces and they ensure that not only people who feel morally obliged to invest in this consensus protocol and to keep the blockchain secure will invest but also people who seek return on their investment so to, who want to invest in the consensus protocol and just make a some money with it that they also invest in it and this then has as a consequence that a lot of people invest in it and no single participant can easily just buy a lot of hardware and start mining and take over the whole consensus protocol because it would be very expensive to do that. Now, the third requirement is verification. And that means that it is very easy for every participant in the network to verify that a leader was elected legitimately. And for Bitcoin, for example, it means that when a node creates a hash that matches the criteria of the proof of work algorithm about which I will talk later and then broadcast this hash to the world to the network that every single node can easily recreate that hash from the given input and then if the hash that they create themselves matches the hash that they received from the from the mining node then they can verify that this mining node was elected legitimately and is allowed to add the block to the blockchain now we know that the consensus protocol elects a leader that is allowed to create and add one block to the blockchain. And it elects this leader 
in a way that it secures the overall network and the overall blockchain. But now let's go a little bit more into detail and the practical use of this definition. The first consensus protocol I would like to talk about is the proof-of-work consensus protocol. The proof-of-work consensus protocol is at the moment used by the Bitcoin blockchain, by the Ethereum blockchain, and also many other blockchains. And it was the first consensus protocol that was ever used with a blockchain. It was not invented by Satoshi Nakamoto, but by somebody else whose name unfortunately I have forgotten, but I will put in the show notes. And here's how it works. First of all, we have to define what a minor node is. A minor node is a node on the Bitcoin network that actively listens for transactions and gathers the transactions into blocks. And these first initial blocks are called candidate blocks because they are not yet verified and not yet added to the blockchain. The miner node then first creates the Merkle root of the block and the transactions inside of it and sets the overall block header, which also has the version of the software run and the timestamp that the server or the miner node has at that moment. It then sets a nonce, that, that is a number used once, also in the blocks header, and then starts to hash the blocks header. Whenever it hashes the blocks header, it checks whether this hash that it receives as an output is below a certain target. And this target is global for the whole network. A hash is actually a very large number, but you mostly see it in hexadecimal, which is letters and numbers but it is actually a very large number. And the challenge of the proof of work is to find a hash of the blocks header that is lower than a certain target that is global to the network. That means that if the miner node hashes the blocks header, it then just checks whether the number it gets out is lower than the global target number that every other mining node also has to reach. If this is the case, so if the hash is smaller than the global target, it found a suitable hash and broadcast the candidate block to the network. The candidate block then uh, is verified by all the nodes on the network. They can easily do that by rehashing the block's header with the nonce in it, with the number used once in it, and check whether the hash is actually lower than the global target. If it can verify that the resulting hash is lower than the target, it adds the block to its own blockchain. When the miner node creates a hash that is lower than the target, it simply changes the nonce in the block's header and rehashes the whole block's header. And it does this over and over again until it finally receives the hash that matches the criteria or until another mining node in the network finds a hash that matches the criteria. On average, it should take the whole network of miners around 10 minutes to find such a hash. And this is also called the time target. Now, this time target in the Bitcoin blockchain is reevaluated every two weeks. So every two weeks, all the times it took uh, to find the matching hash in the last two weeks for every block is averaged. And if, if this average is higher than 10 minutes, it increases the target, so it lowers the number that uh, the hash has to be below of. Now, it can happen that two mining nodes find a suitable hash almost at the same time and start broadcasting this block with the nonce in it to the network. This means that there are two blocks at the same time that are an addition to the blockchain. 
And this means that the blockchain splits into two chains. Now the mining nodes that work to hash the next block to mine the next block will choose one of these two chains. It's mostly the chain with the block that they have received first. And they will then take new transactions, take the previous block, put it in the header of the candidate block, and then continue to work on this. This eventually leads to the situation that there are two chains and most probably one of the chains will be longer than the other one eventually. From then on, the mining nodes will choose the longer chain and the shorter chain will be left behind and eventually it will just stop there. All nodes in the network actually also keep track of these side chains or these two split chains and whenever one chain becomes longer than the other one, they break up the blocks on the shorter chain and take the transactions and put them back into the, the mempool, the memory pool that holds all the transactions in the network. Also the Coinbase transactions, which give the miners their reward of at the moment 12.5 Bitcoin, will be lost. And that is also why Coinbase transactions can't be spent until 100 blocks after they are received. So this prevents miners to spend the Coinbase transactions before the blocks they mined are really set deeply into the blockchain 100 blocks away. Now this is a proof of work consensus protocol. It has as a disadvantage the vast amount of computational power that is needed to create all the hashes. And this is also a topic that it is very discussed a lot in the public because it supposedly uses a lot of energy. I will create another episode where I will go a little bit more into the environmental consequences of these consensus protocols. Now let's talk about another consensus protocol that has captured the interest of the ecosystem lately, which is called the Proof-of-Stake Consensus Protocol. The Proof-of-Stake Consensus Protocol was proposed by the Ethereum project and should replace the Proof-of-Work Consensus Protocol on the Ethereum blockchain. Here's how it works. All network participants on the, let's say, the Ethereum blockchain can become validators. And they can do this by sending Ether to specific wallets that hold their Ether for a certain time. Think that these wallets will hold your Ether for around four months until you can then withdraw it from these wallets. So if you send Ether to one of these wallets, you will increase your stake in the consensus protocol. And this is important for the consensus protocol to elect leaders that are allowed to add a block to the blockchain. Now, whenever a leader needs to be elected to add a block to the blockchain, which on the Ethereum blockchain is around every 15 seconds, the proof-of-stake algorithm takes the list of all validators and their stakes and pseudo-randomly selects a validator from that list. I say pseudo-randomly because the chance of a validator to be elected as the next leader depends on its stake. So the higher your stake is, the higher your chances will also be to be elected as the next leader. And this is proportional. So let's say that you hold around 30% of all the stake in the consensus protocol. Then your chance of being elected over a longer time will be around almost exactly to 30%. And by doing this, you can quite easily calculate what your return on your stake will be. Now, the proof-of-stake consensus protocol will typically not only elect one leader, but will create a list or a sequence of validators that allow to add a block to the blockchain. If the first validator does not respond 
and does not create a block and propose it, then the second validator will be chosen or will be elected and is allowed to add a block and so on, so on, until one of the validators actually responds to the election. Now, there are two flavors of how a leader can add a block to the blockchain. The first one is rather simple. So the elected validator creates a block of the transactions that are currently in the memory pool, which is the pool holding all the transactions that are not yet confirmed. The validator simply creates a block with some of the transactions of the mempool, adds it to its own blockchain, and then broadcasts this block to the network. That is the first and rather simple flavor of how to add a block. The second one is the validator creates a block and simply proposes it to the set of validators. Now, all validators can vote on that particular block or they can restrain from voting. If no majority votes on the first block, the second validator in the sequence is also allowed to create and propose a block. This creates a multi-round voting algorithm and eventually there are a couple of blocks or multiple blocks on which all the validators can vote and the block with the majority of the votes will be then added to the blockchain eventually. There are a couple of problems that affect the proof-of-stake consensus protocol without any further requirements. The first problem is the nothing-at-stake problem, and this means that the elected validator creates multiple blocks and then also claims the reward for every single block. Or it can also mean that the validators voting on the blocks vote for multiple blocks and not for one. So the problem would be that validators use their vote on a block more than once or that they create more than one block and propose it. The consequence of the nothing at stake problem is that there will be multiple chains. So the Ethereum blockchain splits into multiple chains and since these chains don't communicate with each other, attackers then could spend money on the one chain and reclaim it on the other one or would still have it on the other chain. So that is not something that we want. The Ethereum blockchain solves this nothing at stake problem by effectively punishing validators that in quote unquote vote on the wrong block or that vote on multiple blocks at one and also validators that create more than one block. The punishment will be that these validators who either create more than one block or vote on one than more block will effectively lose all their stake, all the ether they invested. So somebody put it like this, that if you would vote on the wrong block, your whole ASIC farm, your whole mining farm would just burn down to the ground and you're there with nothing. So you lose all your money. This is a very harsh punishment, but it is necessary to ensure that the Ethereum blockchain will not have more than one chain eventually. There are a couple of more problems with the proof of stake consensus protocol that are addressed quite well by the Ethereum project themselves. They have a frequently asked question list or document on GitHub, and I will link to this in the show notes. So if you want to learn more about the threats to the proof of stake consensus protocol, you can go there and read it yourself from somebody who explains it much better than I ever could. The proof of stake consensus protocol has some clear advantages over the proof of work consensus protocol. The first one being that it uses much less energy than the proof of work consensus protocol. No hashes need to be calculated all the time. You don't need specialized hardware and equipment to stay competitive in the consensus protocol. You only have a simple leader election that runs every 15 seconds and doesn't take too much energy. 
Also, it offers a very clear return on your investment. So if you invest 10 times more in your stake, you will also receive a 10 times higher return, which is good for people who want to invest in the consensus protocol, but don't want to have risk that, for example, if they buy very expensive hardware equipment, that it will not be competitive anymore in, let's say, half a year, and they would ev effectively lose their money, their investment. The second advantage of the proof of stake protocol is that it eventually will have a better distribution of people who participate in the consensus protocol. So at the moment in the proof of work consensus protocol, you have to have enough money to buy enough hardware, enough equipment to competitively participate in the consensus protocol. And that leads to centralization because only the people with enough money can participate competitively. So that means that they actually get a return out of the investment. In the proof-of-stake consensus protocol, everybody who holds a couple of Ether can then group up with other people and create a pool that then adds their stake to the proof-of-stake consensus protocol. And this means that everybody who holds very little money can invest together with other people and then actually get a return out of that money. That means that much more people will participate in this consensus protocol, which then decentralizes again the election of the leader. Now, to finish up this episode, I would like to talk about a couple of more proof of something consensus protocols that are a little bit more exotic, but that are also interesting and might become more important in the future. The first one being the proof of capacity consensus protocol. This consensus protocol demands that a node that wants to participate in a election algorithm, the consensus protocol algorithm, has to prove that the node owns a lot of capacity, a lot of hard drive space. If you want to invest more in this consensus protocol, you also have to buy more hard drives and prove that you own this much space. It is a rather exotic consensus protocol, but I thought it would be interesting to know about this. The second rather exotic proof of something consensus protocol is the proof of elapsed time. And this consensus protocol was developed by Intel, which participates in the Hyperledger project that creates private blockchains for enterprises. In the proof of elapsed time consensus protocol, you have to have, first of all, an Intel CPU that supports a temper-proof secure enclave. And this enclave can't be used or can't be changed by anybody from the outside, also not the person owning the CPU. In order to participate in the consensus protocol, you as a miner, first of all, request a waiting time from this enclave, from the CPU. The enclave then creates a random waiting time for you. The miner then has to wait this allocated waiting time and can in the meantime already hash the block and then just wait for its time to be over. After the waiting time is over, the miner then requests a certificate from the enclave that the miner waited the allocated waiting time. The enclave then creates such a certificate and the miner can broadcast the certificate together with the block to the network. Now, whichever miner waited the shortest waiting time, which is random, is elected leader and is allowed to add the block to the blockchain. This is a rather exotic consensus protocol, but it might be useful in private chains. So in private blockchains that are only shared by a couple of entities or businesses mostly because it is very energy efficient, it is still random, it still has fairness to it, but it is cheap and it can run very fast, very quickly. So it might be better for private blockchains than public blockchains. 
The disadvantage of this is obviously that it relies on special hardware created by only a single company, Intel, and that you need to buy this hardware in order to participate. And the whole consensus protocol is only as secure as this enclave on the CPU is secure. All right, so this was the second episode of Explain Blockchain about consensus protocols. I hope that you learned a lot. And if you have any questions, comments, remarks, or also please criticism, I would highly appreciate it if you would send me a tweet to either my personal handle, which is at PJ Ulrich, U-L-L-R-I-C-H on Twitter, or send a tweet to this show's Twitter handle, which is at ExplainChain. Or you can also go to the explainblockchain.io website and send me an email there. Thank you very much for listening. In the next episode, I will talk about the Ethereum blockchain, about smart contracts and ICOs. So stay tuned.